Jerome Tang and the Kansas State Wildcats made a surprise run to the Elite Eight last year on the back of a transfer guard, Marquise Noel. Can they do it again with former North Texas guard Tyler Perry? Let's discuss. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen or your first watch of the day. We appreciate all of you everyday listeners out there. We got a great show for you today. We're going to talk some BYU hoops after a pair of transfer portal additions they made for Coach Mark Pope. We're going to close out the show discussing how the transfer portal is not only bad news for mid-major schools, it can actually be very helpful for them. We'll talk about that through the lens of UC Santa Barbara, who have added a trio of high major players to their team this year. But we're going to lead off the show with my good friend Josh Neighbors here of the Locked On Big 12 podcast to discuss one of the biggest stories in college basketball this week. Tyler Perry from North Texas joining Jerome Tang and the Wildcats of Kansas State. He picked Kansas State over Florida, Ole Miss, and Texas Tech. He was one of the most sought-after players in the transfer portal, and for good reason. He was the Conference USA Player of the Year last year. That was a darn good basketball conference as well, so for him to win that award is incredible. He also led North Texas to an NIT championship. Fantastic result for that team, the Mean Green. 17 points, three and a half boards, two assists per game. And Josh, the big question here is really if he can be that replacement for Marquise Noel, because Noel was such a, I mean, such a stud for this team last year and really had a catalyst for this team's deep run in the tournament. And that's a lot of pressure to put on a kid, but there's a lot of similarities between Perry and Noel. And it feels like Tang is just kind of running it back by getting himself another point guard in a similar kind of vein. Yeah. The one thing I think, you know, people, uh, the scoring is what blew a lot of folks off mm-hmm. the the page, you know, when mm-hmm. it blew it up folks you know when they saw him they're like oh my god look at this guy but i think mm-hmm. um to me it was it was the passing like mm-hmm. he had a really good understanding of how to mm-hmm. run this offense yeah. and guys just were able to move the guys were getting open all the time it was just mm-hmm. very clinical and yeah. you know guys were confident that if they moved that he would find them yeah um he was not the most efficient shooter in the world i think mm-hmm. people don't understand like marquis dewell had a, a couple really really bad nights yeah and Perry is a very good three-point shooter. Uh, mm-hmm. He shoots at over 41%. Mm-hmm. So um, this is a guy that I, they're going to need that kind of quality of, of shooting from him. And yeah. I'm not saying he can be Mar- Marquise Noel. That guy brought like so many different elements of his yeah. game that were really, really important. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Jerome Tang is really good about, uh, about getting the most out of his players. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why they're going to start landing a certain caliber of player in the portal. And I think also you're seeing it recruiting at three top 150 guys coming in too. So I think he's got the Baylor pedigree kind of showing he should get to yeah. show that off this year and how actually, you know, it's like I, I'm from the Baylor tree and I'm, and I'm just as good at the Baylor tree, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as Baylor is. And so I think now he's going to get players like this, like Tyler Perry coming over. He's going to get guys, you know, like top hundred players like they have. So uh, I think the, that one year was a, you know, was a sign that like, you know, we got undersized guys like Noel. We got guys who have you know NBA types like Keontae Johnson, yeah. but they're all going to thrive under under Jerome Tang, and I think that's um, that's going to continue to happen under his watch. Yeah, it's pretty incredible to be a, a first year head coach where you just have this level of confidence that 
the kind of guys he's going to bring in, you just feel like, hey, these guys are going to succeed. And you know, so many first year head coaches, it it takes some time. Are they going to be able to bring in that kind of talent? And you know, I, I Jerome Tang, there's a lot of comparisons in my mind to him to Tommy Lloyd at Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, of course. You know, guys who are longtime assistants who then joined another program. Uh, and of course, Gonzaga and Arizona are not in the same conference as, as Kansas State and Baylor are. That's a big difference. But Gonzaga and Arizona have competed against each other for recruits. They've competed against each other for transfers. The Ryan Nempard scenario was a big one. And you kind of see that developing here with, with Baylor and Kansas State already. And of course, I don't remember Tommy Lloyd jumping on a, on a scoreboard and celebrating after beating Gonzaga, which is what Tang did when they beat Baylor this past year. That's a little bit different. But mm. it's interesting dynamic to kind of see, especially a program like Baylor that is kind of you know in a little bit of dire straits right now with so many players exiting and they haven't made some of the additions that uh, you know Scott Drew typically does I think they're probably going to be fine because Scott Drew is very good at navigating the portal but you see Jerome Tang take over this program and instantly he he gets the most out of a player like Marquise Noel he gets the very most out of a player like Keontae Johnson coming off of you know the horrific stuff that happened with him with his illness and uh, and everything and coming back and, and being the kind of absolute superstar that he was last year and I I do think that Perry is probably going to get maximized but in terms of comparing him with Noel I think you you nailed it by mentioning the the passing because I'm not sure Perry's that level of facilitator in part because Marquise Noel was one of the best facilitators in the game Uh, but I do I do wonder how the translation from North Texas and again a very solid conference how that's going to go going to the Big 12 where you're playing you know bigger teams you're playing more physical teams it'll be interesting to see kind of what how that translates for him but it's hard to not bet against Jerome Tang right now after what they did in year one yeah I mean it's it's you know the Big 12 is a conference where plenty of guys have come in and had and had impacts you know it's yeah. it does not you know um I think the, the the difficult part of this, and I think Noel is actually a very good example of this, is the mm-hmm. night-to-night part of it, right? It is yeah. the consistent part of it, mm-hmm. which a lot of guys struggle with. And the reason mm-hmm. why, you know, certain players like Oshai Abaji looks so good, at, you know, mm-hmm. you're just like, wow, he, he found a way to be consistent. And even, I mean, Jalen Wilson, too, yeah. you know, I struggled with it forever. But this year, the reason why Jalen Wilson was so awesome was because mm-hmm became really consistent in a league where it's really difficult to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's going to be the challenge for Perry is finding consistency. And I think yeah. K-State, K-State was pretty consistent this year. They mm-hmm. had one bad stretch, but like generally speaking, they were a pretty consistent team. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that was due to Keontae Johnson, to be honest. He was mm-hmm. just, he was a machine this year, but uh, uh, you know, Noel was the guy who put him over the top. So mm-hmm. Perry right facilitator. It's kind of the big question, you know, you up those passing numbers some. Um, is it gonna be an off-ball guard? Is it gonna be you know the main the you know the main guy handling the rock? What's it gonna look like? They've got some decisions to make, but Jerome Tang, this is not gonna be the last guy of of Perry's kind of caliber and skill out of the portal that he lands. Right. And I think that's kind of the next part for for Tang and Co. is like what what is next? Because you again, it's not a perfect replacement, but you effectively say, Hey, our our Marquise Noel replacement is Tyler Perry. But you still have to replace Keontae Johnson. Uh, you still have to replace Desi Sill. You know, you can't you can't replace that guy. No, it's exactly. Just, it's the challenge, you know, right? I mean, you got to find a you, you know that's seventeen, right. eighteen points per game that you got to figure out where is that going right. to come from? Is it a you know is it a guy who's going to step into a bigger role? Is it a recruit coming in? I know they have a nice class. Uh, are there more portal additions they can make? Right now, they have not made any except for Perry. Um, and mm-hmm. get Desi Sills graduated. He was a guy who averaged eight points a game last year off the bench. Uh, so you, know, you, you got a lot. You still got some work to do, I think. And, and right. for, for this, I think 
landing one of the top fish in the portal in Tyler Perry saying, Hey, look, we have a guy who's going to get, get this done. We we're you know, we're back in business. I wonder if that's going to kind of start to shift the gears a little bit and we'll see Kansas state start getting involved in a few more transfers, because I think they're one or two pieces away from, from potentially being maybe not elite eight for next year, but at least back in that conversation of a, a top half team in the big 12, which, which usually gets you a pretty good seed in March. Right. Yeah. I think Naquan Tomlin's a lot, a guy, a lot of folks are looking mm-hmm. at because you see him, you see his body type. Yeah. He has an NBA type body, but he doesn't look like he fully knows how to use it yet. And I think things are going to clear out a bit now for him. You know, there's a lot of space to operate. Uh, you know, in the guard spot, they're going to be relying on, you know, a variety of guys this year, but maybe it's some of the young guys. Definitely mm-hmm. think we're going to see, you know, Cam Carter, going to see yeah. David Gasson. Those are going to be the ones that step up. But yeah, they, they, they had depth. They had a little bit of depth this year, not like mm-hmm. significant. Like take like they just had other mm-hmm. guys who could step up and hit and hit shots. Mm-hmm. Ish Masood had a bunch of big shots this year, but yeah. I think that's that's the key is like building depth in this league. Mm-hmm. And even Kansas, Kansas won this league a bunch. They have not had depth. Baylor, mm-hmm. Baylor is you know those teams it have not been particularly deep. I mean, KU mm-hmm. had to roll, you know, with with and Wilson and Dick yeah. were playing like 40, 35, 40 minutes a game. You know, towards the you know. Uh, yeah. middle of the season too. So that's the one thing you have to do is build depth. And uh, I think that is going to be the challenge because a lot of guys in this league, it's, it's difficult unless you are an outstanding, outstanding freshman mm-hmm. to come in and, and, and be a great player in this league. You know, uh, I think um, Grady Dick was good, but there are a lot of nights where you know, things were tough for him. And he, yeah. Keontae George was good, but look at his shooting numbers. It was not, he's not the most efficient yeah. shooter in the world, no. even though he had two guys around him. That were really good shooters that, you know, he got a lot of one-on-one opportunities and still it was very challenging for him. Kate Cunningham, you know, is a guy who came in and he was a special one. Right. That's why he was a bit different. But it is challenging in this league to come in because of how physical it is, especially in the perimeter. It's so physical in the perimeter. <laughs> so that's one of the things you have to deal with, right? The, the referees let you fist fight in the yeah. Big 12. Uh, and that's probably, you know, sometimes the issues for teams. They don't let you do that. Uh, you know, but this is a league that produces guys like Deuce McBride and, and you know, guys, you know, Quentin, uh, Quentin Grimes started the league and went to Houston. Houston plays a big 12 brand of basketball. You know, guys like that, you know, go to the NBA, Jared Butler, uh, Donna, uh, um, Davion Mitchell. Yeah, That's the kind of toughness that you need to succeed at the next level. And they, they can cultivate that in this league. And you have to make sure you bring that. Well, Kansas State is not the only Big 12 school making noise in the portal this week as the BYU Cougars added a pair of guards to help them in year one as a Power 5 team. We discuss what a difference it will make. But first, today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious snack, but you don't want all of the sugar and calories, then you need to try the best tasting protein bar ever built. You have got to try them. And if you're like me and you don't want to make healthier snack choices, but you don't want to compromise on taste, then I've got just the thing for you, Built Bars and Built Puffs. Built Bars are healthy and they taste amazing. Seriously, they taste so amazing, you will not think that they're healthy for you. What makes Built Bars so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real dark chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and cookies and cream. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. They only have 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. But now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while you can still get your specialty flavors ordered at Built.com. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-count box of cookies and cream or double chocolate bars. And if you're close to a Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with Built's Hit flavors, brownie batter puff and churro puff. You can thank me later. 
Built Bar, a proud sponsor of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen every day. And for you everyday listeners, tomorrow on the show, Isaac Shade will be back as your host to close out the week. And, of course, we got more Transfer Portal updates and NBA draft declarations to talk about next week as well. So hang with us. All right, joined now by Jake Hatch, the host of the Locked On Cougars podcast, to discuss a pair of Transfer Portal editions in Dawson Baker and Kez Glover. Jake, I want to start with the first edition, or I guess I should say the newest edition, Glover, which just happened a few hours before we hit the record button here to talk about him. Uh, grad transfer from Samford, uh, 5'11 guard, started his career at Florida, kind of did that thing that we've seen a lot of players do recently where they go high major to mid-major back up to the high major level. And I think sometimes there's kind of concern of, oh, is this guy not going to, you know, is he going to be more like what he was at Florida where he only played 11 minutes and only averaged for three and a half points per game. Most of the time, at least looking historically on players who have made this jump, that's not the case. They end up being significantly better than they were at their first high major stop. Uh, everything about Glover kind of, you know, he stands out as a player who's a good facilitator, good distributor, very good scorer, scored 19 points a game in his lone healthy season at Sanford last year. He only played and I think he played 19 games something like that 19 torn meniscus for two months of the season yeah that's that's not what you want to hear for a guy like that but um what were your initial impressions as we're talking again just a few hours after the commitment kind of your initial thoughts on adding Glover to this BYU roster he fits the role that Rudy Williams took on most of the time last year, whereas BYU on this roster, looking at it on paper, going into this upcoming season when they joined the Big 12, they lacked a guy when a play broke down, he got down uh, mm-hmm. in the five seconds left in the clock. You need a guy who's a bucket getter, a guy yeah. who can go create his own shot. Uh, Quez is not a very big dude. You mentioned he's five foot eleven, but what he has proven both at Sanford, even some of his time down there in Florida, is he can get his own shot, and BYU needed that. Yeah. What I'm curious about with him is – he really wasn't a good three-point shooter until last year. And again, it was a shortened season for him, so there's some kind of sample size noise there that's a little hard to to, to tease out. But he shot 38% as a three-point shooter last year. His best season at Sanford, he was only 30.8%. And again, he didn't play enough at Florida to really get a lot of information there. But it feels like if you're getting a Glover who's going to shoot 38% from deep versus a Glover who's going to shoot 31% from deep, that's a pretty big difference. So I think you got to imagine that that one of the things they like about him is that ability to, to stretch the floor and not just go downhill and get a basket. Yeah, what I know of Mark Pope and his staff is they're all about the metrics. I'm sure they've done all kinds of analysis, looking at the numbers, comparing mm-hmm. those two seasons in particular. And uh, they must believe, yeah, absolutely, he can get closer to that 38% mark. The nice mm-hmm. part is I don't think necessarily he has to uh, be the guy who takes a high volume of threes. They've got enough guys on this roster for BYU who mm-hmm. are more than willing to hoist them up. I think he could be a guy who's more of a facilitator, but also lives at the free throw line and gets to the bucket. Yeah. Well, he's not the only new guard addition just in the last week or so, as BYU also added Dawson Baker out of UC Irvine coming up from the Big West to join the Big 12 next year. A little bit bigger guard, more of a combo guard Baker is. Uh, He spent three years with the Anteaters, uh, averaged 15 points a game last year, three and a half boards, 1.2 assists. Also, kind of going on that same theme there, he is a three-point shooter. He shot 37% last year, pretty high volume for him as well. Another guy who it feels like kind of is going to fit right into a nice role uh, for BYU as kind of a combo guard sharpshooter. Is that more or less where, where you identify him kind of stepping in for that role? Yeah, they, they needed somebody they felt like could be a, a true scorer off the wing for him to mm-hmm. kind of 
for this offense. That was one thing that was so inconsistent last year with guys like Gideon George mm-hmm. on on the perimeters. They 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 would have games where they'd absolutely be electric, but the next game it just, they just fell off. Yeah, Austin Baker has proven all three years at UC Irvine scoring double-digit points, shooting a high level, both from the field overall and also from three. So Mm -hmm. BYU is very happy to have him in the fold. He knows about BYU. He is a return missionary and all that stuff for the LDS faith. So he he gets the whole dynamic when it comes to coming Mm -hmm. to BYU. So they're very excited to have him on the perimeter. Yeah, really, really nice addition there out of the Big West, a conference that doesn't get a lot of respect nationally. But uh, we're going to talk about them actually in the third segment of this show here and kind of a, a conference that I think has a lot of dudes, has a lot of talent. And Baker definitely stands out as a guy who I think is going to be a big contributor right away. And I I'm, I wonder for you what what you think this guard room is going to look like next year, because you mentioned Rudy Williams and he's out the door. Gideon mm-hmm. George is I believe he's out of eligibility. He's, he's out yeah. the door. Mm-hmm. Um is, are those the only two guys gone? Is it, are Dallin Hall we're expecting back? Jackson Robinson we're expecting back? Is that right? Like, yeah. Yeah, the whole rotation outside of Rudy Williams and Gideon George is back. You also will add uh, Tanner Toulson, who had a season-ending injury yeah. mid-season, comes back, and the thought mm-hmm. is that once he's healthy, he'll be able to contribute. Richie Saunders really yeah. came on strong down the stretch last season. So BYU's got a really uh, nice young nucleus of players here mm-hmm. that go into the Big 12 with Mark Pope leading them. The, the the biggest thing that they're kind of banking on and what Mark Pope has banked on, he turned over his roster completely last year. 12 yeah. new guys onto the roster. So far, only adding three via the transfer portal this year. The mm-hmm. thought is, which just extra work in the offseason, that continuity factor. Yeah. The hope is that there'll be a better team overall having some supplementation with the three transfer portal additions. Yeah, and you, you the continuity is great, but at the same time, like the, this BYU team is about to go into a completely different era. Like uh, you, you're bringing a lot of the same guys back, but they're not they're not going to be playing the same teams. You know, they're not going to get the opportunities to play uh, the schools in the WCC there. I, I, I've been a champion of the WCC, as you know, Jake, as the host of Locked On Zags. I love the WCC. I think it's a solid basketball conference but let's be very honest it is not the big 12 it is not even close to the big 12 top to bottom there's only really one two programs in the wcc that would compete outside of byu that would compete in the big 12 and and so you're talking about a a a roster that struggled a little bit last year i think some of that continuity will absolutely help this team be better next season i think the pieces they have just added and as well as ali khalifa from charlotte i think are going to make this team better but what do you how do you feel about this team joining a conference that last year was just an absolute juggernaut and from a basketball perspective? And of course, they go out and add a team like Houston along with BYU, along with Cincinnati and, and UCF. And how, how do you feel going into the Big 12 from a basketball perspective? Uh in a word, scared. Uh, <laughs> the thing is about this, this is the best basketball conference in the country yeah. by a, a good margin. The thing about this is BYU could be a markedly better team next year versus mm-hmm. what they have been in the last two or three years in the mm-hmm. West Conference and still finish near the bottom of this Big 12 conference. Mm-hmm. It is that loaded top to bottom with talent, uh, the, these juggernauts of teams. So that's the thing about this is – this I think BYU is under no illusion, speaking of their basketball program, that they're not expecting to walk in to the Big 12 and be in the top half of the conference right away. I've had many conversations on Locked on Cougars with fans saying, okay, which do you expect first, BYU to make the NCAA tournament or BYU to make a bowl game in football? Yeah. Bowl game wins out 99% yeah. of the time. It's it's going to be tough, but BYU, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're ready for it. They're going to be doing their best to fight. Well, the NCAA tournament conversation is interesting because BYU struggled to make the tournament in the WCC, not because necessarily the top to bottom talent level in the WCC, but because it's just much, there's, I think, 10 or eight or nine teams out of the Big 12 make the tournament every year. The WCC, it's 
two, sometimes three. And so you look at, you know, they might finish eighth or ninth in the Big 12, but that that might put them in the big dance. And, and I think that's kind of an interesting wrinkle of this conversation is that, you know, joining a, a like the WCC, in my opinion, is one of the most difficult conferences to make the NCAA tournament, I, I, if, if not the most difficult conference to do it. There's two teams that are almost always going to make it in Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Being a third team is really, really hard. And I think that this move for BYU, I think their record's going to be uglier. I, I, it's kind of hard to imagine it won't be if we're being honest. But I think that the talent might still be enough for them to make the tournament. Maybe not right away, but I, I think it might happen for them fairly soon. Well, and that's the thing about this is they're, they're betting on that. They're betting yeah. on a little bit of momentum here and going in and maybe pulling an upset or two here in year one and then yeah. getting a little bit better year by year. I think five years down the line, I think the NCAA tournament should be the goal at that point. Like mm-hmm. if any fans are under the illusion they're going to make the tournament here in the first two or three years in the Big sure. 12, I would say uh, you should reconsider what you consider right. success. Mm-hmm. Jacob Hatch, thank you so much for jo- taking the time to join the show. Always, always good to have your expertise and insight here on Locked On College Basketball. Looking forward to seeing what BYU is able to do in the Big 12 next year because I think, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, the transfer portal often results in good mid-major players leaving their schools and moving up to the Power 6 level, but that is not always the case. And UC Santa Barbara is a great example of how the portal can serve these kinds of teams well. We'll discuss right after this. All right, segment three, still locked on college basketball solo segment here with your host, Andy Patton. We're going to discuss an aspect of the mid-major transfer portal conversation that I don't think gets discussed enough, which is that I think there's this fear that these mid-major programs and, and, you know, we're talking like lower level mid-major programs, not necessarily Mountain West or Conference USA or WCC even. We're talking like Big West in this case or some of those smaller smaller leagues, Summit League, et cetera, et cetera. It feels like the conversation that a lot of people who are anti-transfer portal or just kind of tired of, of how much movement there has been, which to be fair, I get. I'm not trying to criticize that feeling, but I think a lot of people try to point out that it's a a bad thing for these mid-major programs. And certainly if you were a fan of Hofstra and you see somebody like Aaron Estrada leave, or if you're a fan of North Dakota state and we just saw Grant Nelson enter the transfer portal, North Texas fans, not happy about Tyler Perry, the list goes on and on. And look, I get it. I get all of that, but I think there's an other side to this that I don't think gets as much press and gets as much conversation. And the transfer portal conversation around the UC Santa Barbara Gauchos coached by Joe Pasternak, I think kind of shows that other side of it. Because if I were to tell you that a former five-star from Auburn, a former four-star from Kansas, and a former three-star from Creighton all transferred to the same school this offseason, I can almost guarantee you that Santa Barbara would not be a school that would be guessed by very many people. You would assume that players of that caliber, of that pedigree, are going to end up going to another high major program or at least like a a really good mid-major school. And I mean, that is where they ended up. They ended up at a Santa Clara, excuse me, Santa Barbara school that won 27 games last year that ended up earned a 14 seed in the NCAA tournament, gave Baylor all that they could handle in that first round. But this is the kind of move, the kind of thing that's happening in college basketball that, again, I think I think it's an objectively good thing for the sport because as much as we want to focus on the talent going out of the mid-major level and up to the Power 5 level, the, those they don't have more roster spots. <laughs> those Power 6 teams don't. So if players are moving up to that level, it means players are, are washing out as well. And if those players are willing to 
swallow their pride and move down a level to some still incredibly talented, incredibly capable programs with really good coaches, then you can see the fruits of that labor be successful. So for Santa Barbara, I want to highlight the three players here before we talk a little bit more about what this means for for college basketball in general. They they added Johan Traore from Auburn. That was the big one, the player that got the most attention. He's an incoming sophomore. That's another part of this is he's got multiple years left. He could stay at Santa Barbara for three years. He could go back to the high major. We've seen players do that. Uh, He could go to the NBA draft straight out of Santa Barbara if he wanted to. Uh, 6'10 forward. Only played about 10 minutes per game last year for Auburn, despite coming in with tremendous pedigree. Again, a five-star talent who landed at Auburn, only scored two points per game last year. He chose Santa Barbara in the transfer portal over Alabama, Oklahoma, Michigan, and TCU. So it is not like there were not mid-major program, or excuse me, high-major power six programs who were all over trying to add him to their team. Presumably, he decided, hey, I would rather go somewhere where I instantly get to play consistent minutes. I get to start. I'm probably going to be the guy with the ball in my hands a lot. They're going to give me opportunities to score in double figures night in and night out. You're not going to be guaranteed that at Alabama or Michigan or TCU or Oklahoma for that matter. And I don't know what those coaches told him. I don't know how exactly all that shook out, but he made a decision that's going to benefit him from a playing time perspective immediately. And Traore is a guy who, yeah, the the production last year wasn't great, and there's definitely some concern, some consternation about, hey, is he ever going to reach that threshold, that peak that we had for him? But he's going to a a lower-pressure opportunity where he's still probably going to make the NCAA tournament. This team is overwhelmingly favored to win the Big West next year, and he's still going to have opportunities to grow and develop. And, And then he gets joined by Zach Clements from Kansas an incoming junior, so he's still got a couple of years of eligibility as well. Another big man, he's also 6'10", like Traore. He, similar production at Kansas last year. He played in 20 games, just about five and a half minutes per night, one and a half points, and that was it. So again, four-star guy, he's top 75 in his recruiting class before uh, you know, washing out at Kansas, and now he ends up in another situation where he's going to get the ball, he's going to get some playing time. And, and Big West, you know, Big West favorites here in Santa Barbara, they got Clements and Traore. That is a tremendous front court for those two guys to be dealing with. And then they go out and get Ben Schultz, Schultzberg, excuse me, from Creighton. He's an incoming sophomore, so again, Another guy who's got multiple years of eligibility. He's a 6'4 combo guard, played 17 games last year, five and a half minutes, one and a half points. So on one hand, you look at the additions for UC Santa Barbara and you see three players they brought in via the transfer portal with the highest points per game among the three of them at 2.1 points per game by Traore. But that's not telling you the whole picture. They're bringing in these highly touted guys who didn't make it at the high level that they started at, who decided, hey, I want a fresh change of scenery. And instead of staying at this level and going to another school where I might end up, you know, not getting the playing time that I deserve or or feel like I deserve or that I want, I guess is a better way to put it. They're going to go somewhere where they're more likely to get that. And I think a lot of people are going to say, oh, Santa Barbara must have a bunch of money. They're throwing the bag at them. And look, I don't know. I don't know the financial situation. I think landing three former high major players probably points to them having some kind of recruiting advantage. But I also think they can just sell them on, hey, look, come here and play. Get minutes, play for a team that's going to get that's going to be in the NCAA tournament that's going to compete and, and potentially pull off an upset in the big dance. Like that's that's what we want out of these guys. And there is a track record of players having success doing this. The most recent recent best example of this is Santa Clara's Brandon Podzimski. Podzimski began his college career at Illinois. He played 16 games with the Illini, 1.4 points per game. He said, you know what, I, I don't want to I don't want to stick it out here and, and continue to be buried on the bench. I, I want to go somewhere where I can play right away. He transferred to Santa Clara. 
20 points a game last year, 8.8 rebounds, 3.7 assists, was co-player of the year in the WCC with Drew Timmy, which was a controversial decision, but he was he deserved to be in that conversation. All WCC first team, again, 20 points a game at a good program in Santa Clara. They didn't make the NCAA tournament, but they were a very, very quality team. And guess what? Podzimski is going to get drafted. He is going to get drafted this year. With no disrespect to Illinois, to Illinois and their coach, Podzimski wouldn't have gotten drafted out of Illinois. It just was not going to happen there, but it's going to happen out of Santa Clara. This is not going to be like a super common occurrence, but it will happen and it will continue to happen. And we've also seen players do the pinball thing. And we talked about that a little bit earlier when we talked about Glover, who went from Florida to Samford and now joined BYU and the Cougars, which as they transition into being a high major program in the Big 12, there are tons, tons Tons of other examples. One of my favorites is a player who went from low major to high major, back to low major, back to high major. That's Aaron Estrada. What a strange career he has had. He began his career at St. Peter's, the Peacocks. Then he transferred to Oregon, didn't play much for the Ducks, transferred again to Hofstra, spent two years with the Pride, won their conference player of the year this past season. And now he's entered the transfer portal again. He's got one more year of eligibility and he is going to Alabama. I can understand why some people's argument might be, I don't want to see these guys pinballing back and forth constantly and constantly moving around. And and sure, a a player going to four schools in six years is probably a bit extreme and not necessarily what the NCAA or college basketball should be about. I think that's a reasonable assessment to have there. There were some extenuating circumstances as there often is. But if a player gets to a high major program, and these coaches are going to continue to recruit as many talented players as they can. And some of those guys just aren't going to play. You know, these staffs are going to have 12, 13 guys in their team. They're going to play eight of them, nine of them, maybe. So if you're a guy who's not playing at that level, yeah, you can stick it out and, and grow and develop within the program. And plenty of guys do that. And there is, and that is a great trajectory. It's going to make you a fan favorite. People love seeing guys who are able to do that. But if you don't think it's going to work out there and you're seeing the team continue to recruit over you, if you're a a backup guard like Brandon Podzimski and they say, hey, your your time's coming, and then you see them in the portal start recruiting more guards, you say, screw it, I'm going to go somewhere else where I'm going to play right away. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I've been a champion of of the portal being something that is generally good and not, you know, not being anti-portal and anti-player movement. I'm very overwhelmingly for it. And I think examples of a guy like Brandon Podzimski are why you should do that. And a coach like Joe Pasternak, who has this reputation, I mean, the big, he's won the big West two of the last three seasons. They've made the NCAA tournament. He's won 20 plus games in five of his first six seasons with the Gauchos. So clearly has a pedigree and a level of success without just being able to recruit players in the transfer portal, but they have added good transfer portal players. They're graduating Miles Norris, uh, who they're replacing in the front court with Traore. Miles Norris began his career at Oregon before transferring to UC Santa Barbara. So it's they've used the portal before, but I think this is an objectively good thing for college basketball. And I think it's good for us to continue to celebrate and highlight that there are teams, mid-major teams that are not just watching their best players leave every year in the portal and going, oh, well, I guess there's nothing we can do about it. But there are programs that are out there actively seeking ways to add some of that talent, some of that pedigree to their roster and see if they can get those players to really explode at a different level. And I think that as long as that continues to happen, it's going to make college basketball more exciting, more even uh, and more fun to watch on a day-to-day basis. All right, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you again to all of our everyday listeners who check out the show every single episode. We got a fantastic one coming your way on Friday as well with co-host 
Isaac Shade taking over for that as we get into the weekend. Of course, more Transfer Portal updates coming your way next week as well. If you have not done so yet, leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter. You can also go find the show on YouTube. We are just under 900 subscribers. We're trying to get to 1,000 before the NBA draft. We have plenty of time, but if you have not done so yet, just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On College Basketball, and hit that big red subscribe button. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Thank you all for listening, and of course, Peace out.